Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Folks, thank you very, very much for listening. The date today is the 18th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. Today, uh, Pistons fans know him pretty well. I am joined by, actually inarguably, the most high-profile guest that I've ever interviewed on an episode of Shoot the J in its two-year history, on on again, off again. Um, I am joined. By the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, the on-again, off-again, man who wears the cardigan, James Edwards III <laughs> from The Athletic. James, thank you very, very much. I just did my best common impression right there. Dude, one, um, I, well, I'll save this for a second, but did you practice that or was that off the dome? So the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, was planned. And then when I just said on-again, off-again, like two seconds before it, I was like, wait a minute cardigan rhymes with that so the first part was planned second part yes the second part i did just kind of that was just out of that was out of thin air and i was was like maybe the best bar i've heard all year (laughs) and i think you are doing the wrong i think you need to use your microphone i can send you over some beats and you need to be rapping because that was great that was what's funny i actually i do actually make music that was actually something i was doing like an hour ago Um, okay it's kind of like you know what comparison i i usually use you know how mitch album was like a failed musician and then he like turned to like a journalist yeah that's kind of me where it's like i tried for so many years to like make music and like have that work and it just didn't but i still do it in my spare time and it turns out people just would rather listen to me yell about things but uh okay so I know that generally whenever people have you on their podcast, I feel it or if, whether it's, you know, podcast, radio or even NBA TV, because you get those spots sometimes. Uh, it's always to talk about the Pistons, right? That's I mean, that's yeah. your job. That's what uh, that's what information people want from you today. Right. I'm going to try to talk about other teams. I want you to be able to uh, sort of sort of expand your versatility a little bit and show people that, hey, I know more about uh, the NBA than just the Pistons, which is actually why I have this podcast in the first place is so I can talk about other teams and not get yelled at for like selling out because people get mad at me when I talk about other teams. But yeah, but like, I mean, I guess, but what, it, I mean, there's not much to talk about with the Pistons. So I, I get it. You want to diversify your audience. Of course. You know, somebody got mad at me because like they DM'd me and they're like, Oh, well you bring so much more enthusiasm to these like bucks recaps than you do the Pistons. And I was like, yep. Because they're on pace to win 70 games, and they play fundamentally sound basketball, and they're actually really fun, and they have the best player on the planet. Pistons are like none of those things. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, people have kind of attached you to the Pistons, and that's because of your allegiance. And um, as you know, Nick, people, um, maybe not from Detroit, but people who associate themselves with Detroit don't want other people to to leave their, their allegiance. Um, and I, it's very, it's very weird. I know obviously other people in other cities have that kind of connection, but Detroit has a different type of connection. And I think maybe more so than any other fan base I've at least, uh, observed. And, and you know, this from, from being on Pistons Twitter, people do not like, um, those who are against the Detroit teams. Yeah. And to be fair, the ones who are, do you blame them all that much? Like, is there really that much to be celebrating right now? Like right now the lions are in the midst of potentially trading Stafford. Like I know Bob, and this is not an NFL podcast. I'm just going to say this and we're going to move back to basketball. 
but just in principle, like the Lions may move Matthew Stafford, like their best player. And it like there's so there's so much and the Pistons just moved on from Andre Drummond. So like there's nothing to be happy about. So, yes, a it's fun for me to watch teams and be around fan bases that are fun and aren't miserable. And like I love Pistons fans, obviously, but I'm trying to like get a job and make a career. And right. I think it's going to be easier for me to do that if I'm able to showcase some versatility and not just be one dimensional and talk about a bad team. But OK, with that in mind, uh, I, we are going to talk about one Pistons related thing very quickly because it's something that I think a a lot of people don't understand fully yet. And B, because it's something that every time I think about it, I wonder. And I've actually considered DMing you about this, but then I was like, well, I could just have him on and we could talk about it. So, okay. This is something that you, Rod, and Vince, all three of the Pistons beat guys, have hammered this home. Trading Andre Drummond, although it didn't, you know, land the assets that we thought that it would, it did alleviate uh, $28 million in cap space this summer and that in itself is an asset and obviously and i I know that you know this this is just me explaining it for the people that don't Mm -hmm. um it provides flexibility and it gives the pistons options this summer no this free agent class isn't very good at all and even if it was the pistons aren't really in a position to ever land those marquee free agents but what it allows you to do is in a trade situation you can absorb bad contracts in order to land an asset that turns your team into something that you're currently not So my question to you is, what do you think the odds are that the Pistons are able to do that rather than just go and sign a bunch of free agents? No, it's a great question. Um, I think that that is going to be the plan of attack uh, this summer. Um, I think they've seen it work with a couple teams um, that were once in their position over the years. And you look everybody has their eye on not this summer, but next summer, 2021. And there are going to be a lot of teams. I mean, you can see it now they're positioning themselves to have cap space um, to go after the plethora of players available two summers from now. So really what, what I, and I, and I understand what the people are saying, well, just hold on to them a year, have hold on to them for a year go into next season, maybe a team will trade for him because his contract, if he opts into his player option, talking about Drummond here, right. it will expire. So somebody may be likely to get him more or to um, to to trade for him um, and get a better return. But I also see the side in which now they're positioning themselves this summer to to be that, that dumping ground for teams who are preparing for the next summer that may be more willing to give up a good asset to get off a guy who has two years of money Right. Um, it, it, this front office, and I, we had we had a chance to talk to Ed Stefanski um, shortly after the trade happened, and I opened up the the conversation with, "Did you and your front office kind of want to start making your imprint on this organization? Because as you know, Nick, you pay attention. They've only really done stuff outside the margins. Um, they've made some signings here and there. They've drafted primarily." Um, and second round guys, obviously, aside from Sekou, um, they could have stayed the course. I mean, Stan Van Gundy and, and the regime before put them in a position where they really didn't need to do anything and didn't and it wouldn't. This is where journalists come into part, come into play. If, if it's described in um, 
put out there that they, they could have just sat stand pat and let all that money expire and not done a thing because that wasn't their they that wasn't their doing right um but he said they didn't intentionally um or at least he didn't admit that there was no like ego and wanting to make a mark on the franchise and, and kind of start laying their own foundation uh but but you get the sense that that was the case you're sitting around if you bring andre back and you're forced to go all the way to the deadline with them it's kind of just a revolving door i, I think there's people out there that are optimistic and and think that if this team's healthy, it can be something. Um, I'm of, of the belief for having to watch this team for a living every single night that it wasn't going to get better and these guys aren't going to get healthy and it's just it is what it is. And if you're able to kind of start that process now, uh, I see no no issues with it. I'm going to sidetrack for for just one second, and maybe this is a selfish question just because I want to know, but I'm sure that I'm not the only one who may be interested in this answer. Then I'll get right back on track. In a season like this, and you kind of just alluded to it, where it's your job to watch this team, are there nights where you're just like, I'm not going to the LCA today, not today? I know it like you have to, but like, are there some days where you just you don't feel like it because we're so bad? I No, not really, because I enjoy – I just love basketball, so I I, right. I do I do get tired out, and they're like I'm not gonna lie. I think the what was the first game after Oklahoma City? Well, we were in Oklahoma City. It was a back. To, oh, New York. It was at the home. Knicks. It was the Knicks. Yeah. And I asked my editor, "Can I take that day off?" Like it was after the deadline. Um, we got the game on Friday, where the the kind of the new iteration, or at least this year's iteration of the team going forward, um, played. So I was able to write off that. Um, I was like, "It's the Knicks. It's the Pistons. It's Saturday." After the deadline, I haven't had a day off in a while. Do you mind if I take a day? And she said, yeah, sure, if you want to. And then I ended up being at the arena just because, just for the <laughs> guilt. But I just I just kind of observed, and and I don't know if I – I doubt I wrote – yeah, I, I usually don't write for Sundays just because people really don't read on Sundays. But, um, yeah, like there are times when – go to the arena, but I – there are times when you kind of wish for something new and – you just know what the max, what the kind of the cap is on what you're right. watching. And it's like, yeah, we could go through all this again. And I can sit here and, and try to, what is it? Skin a cat a hundred different ways. So yeah. Yeah. It's at a point you're going to just kind of run tiresome of it. Um, so yeah, I guess there are days where it's just like, uh, it's tough, but I'm like excited for these final 25 games because there are young guys that like, I enjoy watching the development of players and seeing like, and trying to evaluate if they're going to be good or not. Like, I don't know if I'm good at it. I think I'm okay at it, but we'll see. Um, so that, that interests me. Like, seeing something new definitely interests me. I think uh, my problem with it has been, you know, after a game, maybe I don't even want to do my video recap. And it's the same thing with my written recaps for, for Piston Power. And we've actually begun to move away from those just because there's no incentive to write them anymore. Because, yeah, we'll get, you know, we'll get a decent amount of page views on them. But at the end of the day, I can only write so many in so many ways why this team lost because it's going to be the same reason night after night after night. And I can only get so creative with it. So you just kind of sort of lose momentum with it and you lose synonyms, whatever else, you know, it's right. difficult. Um, and then, so just getting back on track, this is the, we'll just end on the Pistons with this. It's difficult to put someone on the spot like this. And this isn't me trying to use you as a vessel for information. This is me genuinely asking what you think, uh, maybe just as a fan, what you think this player could be. In the event that the Pistons decide that they want to absorb bad contracts in order to land an asset, do you have any idea who or just who you think you would want that to be? 
Yeah, I haven't really dove into that yet, to be honest. People have asked me, like in the comments section of stories right. um, and on Twitter. Once I got past the deadline, like that was the first primary focus, and it's only been like a week and a half, two weeks from that. Um, I want to kind of now I, I kind of want to focus on like who are the young guys that can stay around, like who are worth kind of writing about and, and keeping an eye on for the for the organization moving forward. People are asking about draft stuff, so that's coming up. Um, they will get tackled. Uh, it is not something I've really looked at quite intently yet, I must admit. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got plenty yeah. of time before that even is a possibility. Yeah, and it's, it's going to happen. It's just right. now I'm just trying to figure out what is interesting to the fans. Like, as somebody that – like, I grew up a Clippers fan, um, but obviously I'm from Michigan, so I'm like – obviously tuned in it's my job to be tuned in but i'm trying to figure out where the fan base is in terms of are the diehards interested enough in this rebuild to want to solely read about the young players and and see what is going on for the rest of this year are they completely tapped out so yeah i'm in the process if i feel like the guys on this team aren't really moving the needle then i may may switch directions uh a bit sooner than anticipated you know I think the, what you just said is such a, an enormous problem. Like it is such a niche group, like for example, like me and Eli and you know, these other guys on Twitter where we are dedicated to reading about Seku or like, I'll read 1500 words about Spima Hailu. Like I'm not, I'm not opposed to that because I'm so interested in it, but not everybody is me. Not everybody's Eli. So it's difficult. Like even I, I wrote something last night. I think like out of the last four pieces that I've written, I think three of them have mainly been about Christian Wood because a, that's what people are interested in right now. Yeah. B, he's one of the more interesting people to talk about right now and C personally, I just really enjoy writing about him, but okay, we're going to, I actually, yeah, no, I actually wrote about him. I, I finished up my story today on him I, and I was on Twitter and I saw that you, you wrote something about his contract, which is what I have coming tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, I was able to talk to some people around the league about what they think like is the kind of the range financially. And I, and I think I landed on a good spot, um, got to talk to some agents and some scouts, but like you said, um, there's going to be a lot of kind of regurgitation of things for these young guys, because that's what people care about. Like I could have the best Reggie Jackson feature kind of in the tuck. Um, and I have a good one. That, but I'm curious if like if it's even worth delving the, putting the hours into doing it because I just don't know how many people truly care right now. You know what I mean? Oh, like it people, sucks, man. Yeah, that's a hundred percent, and that's a real problem that I've had where I've had such a lack of motivation to write about certain things because maybe I am curious to go in and you know literally watch film and get grab the statistics that I need. But it's like, am I? willing to put in like 2100 words of all of this information that people just don't care about right now and it's one thing you know you want to put your best effort forward ev like every single time you write something i 100 percent get that but it's so discouraging knowing that i'm going to put in all this effort and nobody's going to care because we're so bad yeah it's it's cost versus reward and we're in a position now in journalism where we kind of have metrics and and things to at least have an idea of what people are interested in. Um, so y y something may be a good story, um, but is it worth, is the return going to be worth it in the end? And that's kind of the the battle as, as I finish out this season. I think uh, this is the last thing that I'll hit on. 
I have found that the more that you, I don't know, I don't know how to articulate this. Um, well, actually, I'll just hit on a point that, that you referenced a little bit ago instead. In terms of paying Christian Wood, so I wrote something about that, I think, like four weeks ago. I think what I had written was it'll probably be somewhere in the range of like seven and ten million, depending on how he finishes out the season. Also, at the time, we didn't think that he was going to be the featured big man because trading Andre Drummond was, it wasn't a foregone conclusion at the time. And it wasn't until literally, you know, three o'clock at the deadline. Um, the problem, what I wrote today was teams did their due diligence on him at the deadline. I believe it was you that reported uh, that the Celtics had made an offer and we declined. That was you, correct? Yeah. And I, yeah, I have that in the story to, I've been told that Houston and Boston made more than one offer to try to get Christian Wood. So that's exactly what I said. I said, first I said it was reported that Boston did it, but then I said it was rumored that Houston did it because I couldn't find an actual report and I didn't remember if that was actually a thing. So I just said rumored because I was like, I definitely remember reading that. Yeah. After that, I added this. Uh, we never found out what the rumored package was, but we can assume that Detroit had a high price tag. And while the latter is certainly true, do you know or are you able to say what it was that the Celtics or the Rockets offered? I do not know the offers. That, okay. And that's not just me being political. Like, no, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, I really, I don't. That part, Get Okay, so moving on. Uh, that was the last thing we're going to talk about the Pistons. Maybe we'll somehow tie them back in. I have no idea. So uh, all-star, the all-star games here and Woj drops a bomb that the Cavs and John Beeline are kind of trying to figure out how they want to move forward. John Beeline's kind of not sure if he wants to continue being the coach because the Cavs are bad and he's been really bad as the Cavs coach. So that begs the question. And I was actually, I planned on asking you this anyways, and I was going to include John Beeline in my list. This just kind of solidified it. This Damn season, it, Nick, I wasn't prepared. What's that? I wasn't prepared. You didn't put it on a list. Well, okay. Let me. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, I'll start, and then if you want to add to it or just go with your next pick, you are more than welcome to do that. No, whatever. The, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> the question is going to be, uh, what are the potential coaching vacancies? Uh, going into the summer. John Beeline is going to be one regardless of the outcome. Now, I think it's a shock. It was, I, I had somebody on like a week ago and we had talked about this and he said, there's no way John Beeline is going to get fired. I completely agreed with him, although the Cavs have been atrocious. Um, clearly, that's not going to work out. I said this yesterday. I do not often pat myself on the back with things. And I think people know that about me. I was way ahead of the curve on the whole Colby Altman is an idiot train. And now everyone's kind of coming around on that. And even Bill Simmons shared the same sentiment. Now I know that Bill Simmons generally isn't like the champion of the people. And you don't really want to, you know, agree with whatever Bill Simmons is saying. Cause sometimes he just has the most outlandish takes, but even he was kind of like, I don't really know what Colby Altman's doing. And at the time that John Beeline was hired, it was kind of like, well, that's interesting. You just like, we went from John Beeline is going to like die a Michigan Wolverine to, Oh my gosh, how, how did he leave? What breaks my heart is now Colin Sexton, who this may as well be a Colin Sexton podcast. Cause I can't not talk about him for one episode. <laughs> Assuming John Beeline leaves, uh, whether he's fired or it's an amicable decision, Colin Sexton's going to be on what his fourth coach in two years. Yeah, I believe so. That's, Third or fourth. It's so it was, it was uh, Tyron Lou for like 10 games. And then wasn't Mike Brown the interim coach? I believe that is right. Yeah, yes. and then they get John Beeline three. So then whoever actually, no, Mike Brown's been in, been with the Warriors for a couple of years now. Oh my gosh, that's right. I don't remember who their interim coach was, but obviously Tyron Lue got fired. I can look that up. Hold on. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, not hold on. We have to talk. It's a podcast. I was going to say, I'll yeah. just, I'll if just you want to continue talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been notoriously on the Kobe Altman's an idiot train. Uh, Twitter was all up in arms when he originally got hired. And it was another one of those instances, instances where LeBron makes somebody look really, really good and makes them look competent. And then at the end of the day, he's just an idiot and he doesn't know how to run a team. Um, and I'm generally not very harsh with executives or players, but I just, I'm really all in on, I don't think Colby Allman is good at his job. I don't blame him for the Kevin Love contract or the situation um, because he kind of, his hands are tied with trading him because it's just the Cavs don't really, well, I also actually kind of blame him a little bit for thinking that teams shouldn't be rewarded for taking Kevin Love's contract, but I understand why he would believe that. I worded that in a really wonky way, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, how they've sort of reached an impasse there where teams think they should be rewarded for absorbing that, all that, but the Cavs think that they should be rewarded for trading away such a valuable asset. I don't know. It's such a, such a terrible situation. I think John Beeline at this point, sealed and signed, she's not my lover like Billie Jean, but the kid is mine, is gone out of there. Uh, who they bring in after that, I, I mean, I don't – I'm not really the guy to say who a team is going to bring in as much as I can be like they're gone. Were you able to look up who their interim coach was? Yeah, it was Larry Drew. Larry Drew, that's what yeah. it was. So he's had three. Ty Lue for six games, Larry Drew, and then uh, Beeline uh, with your rhyme at the end. <laughs> okay, who is uh, who is one of your picks? Man, I don't – I mean, this is probably too easy of a pick. Like, I don't think Mike Miller in New York is there. That was one of mine year. as well. Yep. Yeah. Can I name a couple or do you just want one? Um. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on why Mike Miller might not be there or who they could bring in? Or is it just that's just going to be the case and let's just move on from it because it's the Knicks and who cares? Well, I just think they're based on their weird moves um, over the last two weeks. They're obviously trying to do things a little more high profile. Um, they're trying to make a big splash. You, you hear about what they did with the front office and kind of how CAA, the agency, is going to run the Knicks. Right. Um and a, Mike Miller, who came from the G League and assistant, um, this doesn't fit that profile. I don't know who it will be, but I would imagine it'd be a name we all heard of. Um, yeah, they'll. I mean, they'll eventually. Because how long have they been hounding Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson? I feel like it's been like five years. That every time they have a vacancy, they are the front runners. Yeah, it seems to be the case. I could see Van Gundy coming back. Um, yeah, I'm not sure on another name. The, a lot of these coaches that have kind of been hired as of late kind of come out of nowhere uh even to me Dwayne Casey um I understand I can un I understand why the Pistons wanted Dwayne Casey um and then outside of the 35 million dollar reasons why Dwayne Casey would want the Pistons I, I don't right. I didn't understand that um Frank Vogel who's the guy I've always liked but when he was the Lakers coach that kind of came that caught me by surprise my whole theory with that was we are all on the same page that the only reason Jason Kidd was brought in was so he could usurp Frank Vogel halfway through the season, right? And it, it turns felt out like that it. Frank it felt Vogel's weird. Fine. Yeah, no, I've I've always liked Vogel. Like I understand the kind of qualms people have had with him, but I've always thought he's a good coach. Um, yeah, like I, you're in Chicago. Like I don't think Boylan comes back next that was, year. I had Boylan down, and then in parentheses I put Gar Pax. Yeah, uh, that one I'm. If they're not gone by now, I don't know Bizarre. when it will happen. Yeah. For me, the nail in the coffin was giving Jabari Parker two years, $40 million after he tore both ACLs. 
Yeah, it just made no sense. And I get that it was like, because I believe he's from Chicago and it was kind of like a bringing him home thing. And it was like, well, maybe there's some potential there. And they did have a team option on the second year. So it was like, okay, if he sucks, then we can just kind of whatever. Um, right. But that was just bananas. And at this point, because I believe the report came out, it was after the All-Star game. Um, I, I don't recall who it was. I remember there was not a blue check. So I don't know if that means anything, but um, I don't know if it was a reputable source. But they said that the plan is to move on from if not both of them, one of them this year. So Jim Boylan was also on mine. Um, now, my other two, I feel like are such like bizarre and scorching takes that I'm a little bit scared to say one of them, but let me preface it with this. I said coaching vacancies, not teams firing their coach. So this is just like maybe an amicable decision. I mm-hmm. think there's a chance and it's really difficult to imagine it happening until it actually will. Do you think that maybe if the Spurs don't make the playoffs, Greg Popovich, after having a year of Tim Duncan and Becky Hammond on the bench, just kind of rides off into the sunset and is like, I'm good? I think, yeah, I don't think you're crazy. That wasn't your crazy one, right? Or what, what I'm was? not going to lie. I feel like because I backed it up with my thoughts before just saying it, it made me feel a lot more comfortable saying it <laughs> rather than just saying Greg Popovich and then having to like sort of backtrack and be like, well, here's why um, right. I think. And it's not, again, it's not a foregone conclusion. I think that there is a chance that again, Becky Hammond is one of the best assistant coaches in the league. Tim Duncan is Tim Duncan. I feel like, cause he's done with team USA, correct? Yes. So I just kind of feel like, yeah, it's hard to imagine it, but when it does, you'll be like, yeah. You know, it was probably time. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, which uh, coin toss with the mid-range merchants down there with L.A. 12 and DeRozan. Uh, I don't know, man. Like you, you can see that, right? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, the, the streak will have ended if, you, if they don't make the playoffs. Um, there doesn't seem to be brighter days ahead. Um, he has nothing left to prove. And I could see him maybe moving up to a consulting role or a front office role. I mean, he's obviously already the president of basketball operations, but maybe just staying there. Um, I I could totally see if if his seat is uh, empty at some point this summer. I'm just going to add one more thing to that. I feel like we've arrived at a point where the Spurs just we, we don't view them as this team that is like so marginally ahead of everybody else and i feel like an indication of that was trading away bertons for virtually nothing trying to get marcus morris and then that didn't work and like it just it just feels like they're kind of not falling apart organizationally but they're not as sharp and as like oh my gosh in longevity what a brilliant move what a sleeper move that was i feel like we don't really get that from the spurs anymore um i do have one more i don't know how many you had listed i have one more if you have another one you are more than welcome to go um I wouldn't be surprised. First, I want to give apologies to Billy Donovan. Um, Cause I think I talked about this at the beginning of the year and I think he was, I think we did an athletic like poll or something like that. And he was on my list. So I want to apologize to him. Cause he's done a tremendous job. Cause he's done a tremendous okay. job. All right. Um, I guess one name that wouldn't surprise me just because there is always seems to be turbulence um, in this neck of the woods, I don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't surprise me. And it's Luke Walton. Um, uh, I know. I think you're heavy on the Buddy Heald train. I am. You're driving it. Yep. Um, there just always seems to be something 
going on. And I don't think it's necessarily a Luke Walton problem. Um, but I also could see a world in which Vivek just cleans house, starts over. Um, and that would include, in my opinion, Luke Walton. Because I, mean, I, I, I like Dave Yeager, and I thought Dave Yeager was a good coach. Um, and I, I, think, I still think Dave Yeager is a better coach than Luke Walton. So, yeah, that would, uh, that's kind of my – it's not a hot take because it's Sacramento. I don't think there's any hot take with saying somebody will be fired there. Right. Um, but that's one that I, I would keep – they've underachieved, I think, to most people's standards this year. They've, uh, they've underachieved for almost like two decades. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> so when you, you just mentioned Dave Yeager, I was actually going to mention that. When you said that you've always really liked Frank Vogel, that's me with Dave Yeager. And I was heartbroken when he got let go from Memphis. I was heartbroken when he got let go in Sacramento. Um, I think I actually said this in the last episode when he was, I think it was when he was a coach of the Grizzlies and he was like crying in a press conference because of how much he loved his guys. Like yeah. I was like, that's my coach. I want him to be my coach. That dude is awesome. And I um, feel like just sorry to interrupt you. I feel like I don't, so I only covered Stan for one year and I may be wrong on this, but I'm, or I might've asked, maybe it was a player that said it. But I thought I read somewhere or somebody told me that they thought Dave Yeager draws up some of the best plays. Um, and then I, like, paid attention after that. And I was like, oh, he does have some good stuff. I may be wrong. Like, I feel kind of 50-50 on it. But I'm pretty sure somebody told me, um, whether it was a coach or a player or I read it somewhere, that, that Yeager was uh, – he had some good stuff. I could see that. I think at the end of the day, we're probably giving that crown to Brad Stevens, though, right? Oh, the best? Yeah. Yeah, he's up there. Um, I like Quinn Snyder. Um, who's another? There's a Spolstra. Yeah, Spolstra's great. Actually, that, you know who's yeah. exceptional? And my favorite thing about the Mavericks is they run like the same out of bounds play like four times a game. Rick Carlisle is exceptional. Yes, and he's, I like I love how he's kind of just gotten out of the way since he's gotten Luca too. That and then spending like 15 minutes uh, bashing post ups. Yes, I was like my favorite, my favorite like soundbite of the year. I think I listened to that like a hundred times. Um, it was, yeah, it was funny to me. Like everybody was like, "Andre's going to Dallas," and then Carlisle says that, and people are like, "Dallas still makes sense." Like, I said it a hundred times. No, I, oh there's my a God. reason they went and got Willie Cauley Stein. I I said it one hundred thousand times that Rick Carlisle did not spend 15 minutes bashing this low post generated offense as an inefficient form of offense just to have Andre Drummond on his team. It was the stupidest thing in the world from day one. And it, it, it you, I don't know if you can, I'm getting mad right now because it was so stupid. Yeah. And, but again, there are people who think that, um, how should I say this? that there is value in the Andre Drummond. There are people who believe that there are, there is value in the Andre Drummond post-up. And it was mainly the people that were saying that. Without commenting on my thoughts on that, because I don't want people to get mad at me, I'm going to move on to my final coach. (laughs) And when I originally wrote this, I was like, Nick, you love this guy. Don't do it. Like, you know, you want him to be employed. And even if he is fired, I think he'll get a job. Maybe he's the, the, the Cavs replacement. And actually, as I said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that'd be awesome. Terry Stotts. I think if, yeah, I think that there's a chance, and I don't want to equate, like, Rick Carlisle 2003 to, like, Larry Brown 2004, the Pistons finally win a championship, like how they just, like, needed a new coach to get over the hump. Yeah. Um, Well, among other things. But 
I feel like with the, I also just realized I didn't comment on the Luke Walton thing. I feel like I'm so deep in like the Kings fandom right now and like being friends with Grant Napier that I don't want to say anything that's <laughs> offend people, but I genuinely, and people know this because I said this in the last episode, which was dedicated to the Kings. Luke Walton, I feel like is, if there's anybody to get it done, I feel like it's Luke Walton, but Terry Stotts, I feel like there's only so many years that you can keep, I don't want to say underachieving because the, the, the Portland has been so sneaky. They were in the Western Conference Finals last year. So saying that they're underachieving is like disingenuous. Right. Especially given the talent of the West, like the Rockets are the Rockets, the Warriors dynasty, the Lakers right now, the Clippers right now. I just feel like at some point there has to be some major shakeup for them. You cannot just keep rolling the dice, running it back year after year after year and putting it all on Damian Lillard. At some point, whether it's, I mean, doing your due diligence with CJ McCollum and maybe seeing if there's uh, a package that lands you more assets that complement Damian Lillard better, not that CJ McCollum doesn't, or maybe firing uh, Terry Stotts and just getting a replacement there. I think he's exceptional. I love Terry Stotts, but again, I just feel like there has to be some organizational shakeup if they want to move forward and maximize the potential of Damian Lillard's prime. I'm not mad at what you're saying at all. I, I could logically, I understand it. I would argue a couple things. Um, this year, injuries obviously hurt Portland. Yes. Um, and so coming off the Western Conference Finals, it's unfair to say that what has gone on this year is, is Stats' fault. Um, two, back to your point about CJ, I, my gut tells me, and I don't know anything, um, my gut tells me that there would be a roster shakeup before the coach shakeup. I would agree with that. And then, I, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask, how annoying is it to be in your position and every time you say something, you have to say, and I don't know anything, but because otherwise these aggregates are going to come after you and just like take everything and run with it. Well, what annoys me is like when I do like say something and then nobody wants to like believe it. Like that's what that's what drives me more nuts is like like I can defend if I didn't say anything like that's fine but if I said something and then I look on Twitter and people are like I find it hard to believe that the right. Pistons couldn't get a second round pick for Markeith and Langston right like well no I'm telling you as somebody whose job it is to tell you that they could not like I like or I knew we were gonna get it back to Pistons but I have to get this off my yeah job. yeah yeah. Fans like to value their players higher than other yes. people value their players. I think Langston is a good player. I think Markeith is a good player. They, they all have – there's roles for them in the NBA. But at the end of the day, they are both bench players on, ba- on a bad team. Yes. Neither one of them Mar- – Langston is an undersized guard who is shooting fine from three. He's, he's shooting fine. He's, he's good. Markeith is a kind of ball stopper who's shooting good for from three. Right. Like it doesn't, it's absurd to me that people think that a hundred percent somebody wants to give up an asset for one of those two. It is. This is uh, James. This is literally, I made a video about this because it was pissing me off so much. And I know that you deal with this on a much larger scale than I do, but yeah. I still, I still get it quite a bit. The people DMing me their trade proposals, people adding me in them is my least favorite thing in the world. Um, let me tell you something, man. 
the people who think that Reggie Jackson is an atrocity and that he contributes nothing to this franchise are the same people that advocate for him to be flipped for like a protected first round pick. Yes. Or they're like, you can get these assets for him. I'm like, no, 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 no. You cannot have it both ways. Either you think he's terrible, and if he is playing bad, other teams are going to see that he's not playing well at all. Right. Like these, they have their their GMs, their scouts. They watch basketball too. And most of these people were saying this when he hadn't even come back from his injury yet. So he's been out three months. And people are like, well, at the deadline, we can move Reggie for this. And I'm like, the dude hasn't played basketball, and we don't know if he's going to be fine when he does come back, which he has been. He's been great, but. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Man. So there's it's that there's that aspect of it. And then there's the aspect of like one, like teams might not want cap space this year. So <laughs> like it's not like there aren't that many good free agents. Like it's not right. maybe people, you know what I mean? And then there's like the last thing, um, the one where it's like that's that's all they got for Andre Drummond. It's like, no, they turned down the first round picks. Just so they could do this deal, right? Of course, right? Like it went down to the last second. Like that's what they didn't turn down a better offer for this. Like it's just, yeah. So can I? I yeah, want to ask. I and I. I promise. And this is also for my sanity. This is the last thing I'm going to ask about the Pistons. Yeah. I had tweeted something about this, which I deleted after like an hour, just because I felt like kind of mean. I felt bad about saying it. So Andre tweets after he was tweeted or I'm sorry, after he was traded mm-hmm. that, Oh, it's a business, you know, can't trust anyone, whatever it is that he said, you, you saw it. Do you think that he was alluding to the fact that maybe he learned about the news on Twitter? Because it's like, you've known about this for however long, like you've known that you, you said the night before that quote unquote, you've been in, tra- I've been in trade rumors for like four years. This doesn't phase me. So it's like, you knew that this was a possibility. So yeah. I was, I, that was just bizarre to me because it's like this is such a din- disingenuous take unless he's referring to the fact that he learned on Twitter. And if that's the case, then that sucks. So what I'll say to that, and I have to walk uh, a fine line because I don't want to say anything right. outrageous uh, or disrespectful. Um, I think there are some players in this league who um, – View them. You are meticulously choosing your words. Yeah, there, I can tell. There are some players in this league who view themselves, um, maybe as they should, higher than others, and in a higher tier than others put them in. Right. Um, and to me, that reaction was that of someone who considers himself. In a different uh, paradigm than others. Yes. And it okay. was, and what I will say is, in regard, maybe Andre did hear about that he was traded to Cleveland on Twitter. Right. Big whoop, in my opinion, because what I'll say to that is, it's been known that he's been on the trade market. He knew that the Pistons, him and his agent, knew that the Pistons were talking to Atlanta about a deal. Um, it's been out for months, weeks. The, de- the, tra- the trade happened in the final hour of the deal of the deadline. It was like the the last 30 minutes. And I think a couple national guys came out and said that it was highly unlikely that Andre would get traded. And I'm sitting was, there, I'm like, yeah. well, I know that's not true. Cause I've talking to people throughout the process. And I know that there is something in the works. I didn't know the team, but I knew that there was something still on the table. Um, but yeah, it happened at the last second. 
And in that situation, when it happens right near the finish line, I understand not being able to get to a guy and tell him, hey, this is where you're going. I, to me, it's a shock if you're if you're getting traded and you don't like the Blake Griffin situation. The Blake Griffin and Andre situation are nowhere near. They evoke the same reaction, but they're nowhere near comparable. Um, Blake signed a new deal. Blake had his jersey in the rafters. They the they summer. they had a whole fake ceremony, and they're like, "You're a Clipper for life." Yes. And they had like a choir and in, in an empty staple staple center, and they you are a Clipper for life. And then they flip them six months later. That was completely blindsided. Andre's was, you're not going to be there in the conference call and know what team called you called the team you're on 30 minutes before the deadline. And right. you know what I mean? It's just, to me, that was, I understand his emotion. I understand um, the emotions of it all and being emotional. I just didn't think what he did was very fair to the organization, uh, knowing what I know and knowing that it was, I mean, there was a game the night before and, there was 50 media people asking him about the trade deadline and waking up tomorrow. Do you think you'll be on the Pistons? And that's what I said. It was literally, I like, so the tweet that I had was, it was a screenshot of Andre's tweet. And then a screenshot that Rod had tweeted the night before. It was a quote from Andre. When, like I just said, he was like, I've been in the rumors for like four years. It doesn't phase me. It's whatever. So that's, yeah. that's kind of why I'm like, and like you kind of just said, it puts the organization in a bad position because it makes them look, it makes them out to be these terrible people who don't inform their players when something happens. And it's like, I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't feel that bad. Yeah, it's, that's not what happened. Like, it's it's a totally different scenario, and it goes back to kind of the first point I made. Um, making your voice heard on, out loud like that, to me, um, was a kind of way of saying, I, I think I deserve better than that. That's fair. Which is... You can take it or leave it um, right. however you see the situation, yeah. So moving on from the Pistons, and uh, oh, wow, we're running a little bit. That's You know what? This is a great conversation. I actually don't mind at all. So I want to move on very quickly in the sort of in the same realm from just the trade deadline, the Houston Rockets uh, trading away. Uh, it was such a terrible segue. Just immediately switch it. Um, <laughs> I don't think we our Clinton last Bell. topic either. We took such a – a left turn, but it's not. Well, a yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Hey, it's a great flowing conversation. So the, the Rockets trading away Clint Capella going small. Um, obviously everybody. And I, I feel so bad for people to listen to this because I sort of just regurgitate the same points that I love uh, like in multiple episodes. So like, I think this is the third episode in a row that I've said this now. Um, the, the Rockets make that trade. They're small and everyone's clowning them for it. And then they go out and they beat the Lakers and everything. Now the, all the Rockets fans are up in arms because it's like, oh, my gosh, you, now you guys are idiots. And then they lose to the Suns by, like, 40 points the next night. Um, here's my thing. Actually, I don't want to go into what I think yet. It's a, it's a bit of a loaded question to just say, is this going to work for the Rockets? But I'm curious to know maybe what your first thoughts were and if you think that this is going to prove any sort of success down the line. Uh, my first thoughts were, like, I wasn't surprised when you look at the history of the NBA and how it's gone and where it is now. Um, when you factor in who the coach is, um, when you factor in who the team is built around, um, it doesn't, it didn't surprise me. Do I think, by working, do you mean, do I think it leads to a championship? I think there is a legitimate chance that the Houston Rockets could win a championship with this roster. 
Yeah, see, I don't think so. And I don't necessarily think it's because of um, that drastic change where they're essentially playing P.J. Tucker at center. And it could be – and now it could be like Jeff Green. See, okay, well, let me – very quickly, I want to – for people listening to this, I feel like people are going to assume that I'm only talking about the Rockets in such a positive manner because they signed Jeff Green and everybody knows <laughs> how attached I am to Jeff Green. Uh, although a lot of people don't. I had a lot of new followers asking me what the deal about that is. I don't well, really want to know that. You don't know about that? I don't I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, oh, James. All right, I'll do a very quick breakdown. Jeff I don't Green, know if, did you know he was – I think he was – I don't know if he was close to being a piston, but uh, Blake contacted him. him. Yeah. yeah, well, that too. Yeah. So I was lobbying, campaigning for Jeff Green to be a piston uh, for like a week, and I'm I like I'm like flooding his DMs. I know he's not going to check them, but I'm like, hey man, in the off chance, like maybe I can help. And uh, <laughs> we have like the mid level. I think we had like seven and a half million in the mid level, and then we like we signed Derek Rose. We still got a little bit to play with, and I'm like, please get Jeff Green to Detroit. I'm at a uh, I'm at a, a surprise party for one of my good friends, and I just I open Twitter and I have like the you know the twenty plus notifications thing and I'm like uh oh, and everyone's just tagging me that Jeff Green signs with the Jazz, so I'm like overwhelmed like I'm like over the top emotional about this like I didn't think it was going to affect me as much as it did, but it kind of like threw off my whole vibe and like an hour later I leave the party I get in the car and I record a video. Where I'm like, Jeff Green, like, it could have all been yours. I hope the warm <laughs> sands of Salt Lake City, like, treat you well. Uh, I hope you get that coveted championship that you that you desire. Um, eventually, he was waived, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, like, I'm shattered. I think I cried a little bit. I don't remember. I was, like, so bummed about it. Jeff Green's just, like, my favorite player in the world. Why uh, is that? That's what's confusing me. Everybody asks me this question. Like, I, I mean, I've written the shot. Like, I've told people about Sean Livingston. So, like, I'm not like here to judge, but I'm, I'm right. genuinely curious. I, everybody asked me this, man. People were asking me last night. I got no answer for you. I don't know. It's kind of like how I obsessed like I am with Avery Johnson. Like, I think if you ask me, I think Avery Johnson deserves to be a coach in the National Basketball Association more than anybody else. Um, and, wow. and, and people are like, well, he was a bad coach. He wasn't good at Alabama. That's because Colin Sexton was his best player, and his second best player was his son. So Avery Johnson didn't have talent at Alabama. He didn't have talent in Brooklyn, but he did win a coach of the year in Dallas. Avery Johnson deserves a job uh, in basketball. And I realize how like insane this probably sounds right now, uh, just hearing this all all this information at once. But I promise, like this has been like a like a years long romance that I've had with Jeff Green. I respect it. So. Just just going back really quick, here's my thing. I, and again, I'm not pandering to the Rockets just because they got Jeff Green. I was going to talk about this anyways, but no, it doesn't hurt that they have Jeff Green now. Anyways, the Rockets, when Clint Capella was on the floor, are worse offensively than when he was off. They had an offensive rating of 110 with him on and 116 with him off. So it's like, I don't want to say that's marginally better, but like you are still better. In the yeah. 12 games that they that he wasn't playing in, they were only out-rebounded in, I think, five of them. Right. So, although, oh, shoot, I should have looked this up. James Harden and Russell Westbrook, I don't know how many games they have of 10-plus rebounds, but by no stretch of the imagination are they bad rebounders. Obviously, Russell Westbrook is marginally better than James Harden, but they're still good rebounders. P.J. Tucker is one of the best rebounding forwards in the league. So, another thing is, yeah, sure, let's say they're playing P.J. Tucker at the five. In the Western Conference, how many teams primarily run their offense through their center? 
Because although, yeah, it'd be tough for PJ to, to bang down low with Rudy Gobert, they're not feeding Rudy for 48 minutes. Unless you're the Nuggets or what, the Lakers, who are they going to face up against? Who are the Rockets going to play in the playoffs that it's going to pose that big of an issue? Yeah, no, and I, and I get that. And I, I think that is going to play to a disadvantage at, at a point because the game does slow down in the playoffs. Um, legs are tired in the playoffs. Um, the three-point ball, and they're not shooting the three ball particularly well this year. No. Um, but, I mean, we've seen kind of hardens collapses in, playoff, in big playoff games. Like, it, it seems due to fatigue. And I guess the one thing I wonder, and I'm not – sure if the numbers back this up but i believe they're like a league average defensive team like maybe right smack dab in the middle i believe that's correct i just wonder how they're gonna score um but defenses in the playoffs are so especially in the west with good coaches and all the length that there is when you look at the clippers the lakers uh defensively like teams like denver have possible uh like matchups that they can use to, to in the way coaches, these, some of these coaches are coming up with ways to stop Harden or attempt to slow them. Like I, I just think in the, in a seven game series, it's a lot harder to be, to, to, to do some of the things that they do during the regular season. I would uh, go ahead. No. And, that, and then I was going to say defensively, I just, once they get to these good teams in the playoffs, I just don't see how they're going to stop anybody. Like I, the dribble penetrate like Harden and Westbrook aren't good defenders. There's going to be nobody there to protect the rim. Um, I just I just don't see it working in the confines of a playoff structure. I just I, I don't. Um, I think it's entertaining regular season style of basketball, and it seems to be very fitting for Mike D'Antoni's kind of career. Um, he's always been entertaining regular season. He's always had re- entertaining, excuse me, regular season teams. And then the right. playoffs, it's kind of a letdown. And I think that's part of the reason why it's just the, the energy they exert during the regular season to be as efficient, to be as productive as they are kind of takes its toll in the postseason. And then you factor in this, this wild card of playing small. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know necessarily if that's, I'm going off on a super tangent. If that's exactly right. what they want to do, because like, again, I, they went after Christian Wood. Right. So if, they, if they could get some size with floor spacing, like I think that's ideal for them. Um, but they can't now it's over unless something happens in the buyout market. But right. I just, defensively, I just don't see how they get it done. I, I don't. Unless they somehow get Gortat to come out of retirement. So I looked it up, which is a joke. I, I looked it up. The Houston, the, the, Houston, the Houston Rockets are actually, they are 15th. They are okay. as league average as you can get in and uh, with their defensive rating this season. So one thing that you mentioned that I think is really interesting, it's a great point. This is the one, the, the biggest flaw that I think you have if you're the Rockets defensively. If you are facing like a rim runner in transition, like JaVale McGee, just for example. Yeah. Who are you putting on him? Right. Like literally, they, they what, you, what happens if they if he gets a lob? What are you doing? Right, and they beat the Lakers, so it's like it worked. But I'm with you in a seven game series. What are you doing with that? What are you doing once Harden gets beat off the dribble and it's a guy like uh, I don't know who's Paul George. Like I don't know if Paul George if Harden's guarding Paul George, but you know what I mean. Like a six seven six eight guy, they can just get to the hole, get to their shot, and get and finish at the rim. It's like I just don't. I just think teams are going to score too easily and. And they could, and as good as Harden is, they can have poor shooting nights. And Russell Westbrook isn't shooting threes anymore, which is great. But like, are they going to be able to score enough in playoff games 
to negate how much I think they're going to give up. Now, I know that you was just sort of off the top of your head, but this is me actually asking you, don't you think they put Covington on Paul George? I forget. Like, see what like, I've right. been in all-star mode. And I forget about Covington. No, I, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're right. Like but Harden and Westbrook are going to have to guard somebody good. Beverly is probably going to get what I'd say. I'd put, honestly, I would put Harden on Beverly. Okay. You put Harden on Beverly. You put Covington on Kawhi or George. I would put, oh man. Uh, oh, the Rockets are so screwed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I just don't think they have a, and, and I don't think it's a style of play necessarily. I just don't think they have the right pieces. Like I'd, I've never been a Russell Westbrook guy. Um, I command him for finally stop shooting the three ball. Um, but I just, he's not. And a he's good, been really good. In, yeah. in, like he's been really good recently. And he has been, but I still think, and I get, and again, stuff, uh, different factors play into this, but Chris Paul's a better fit with that team. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he just is. And yeah. I think, I think, uh, listen, I, people who listen to this, they know how obsessed I am with Daryl Morey. I think, Daryl Morey is like one of the best basketball minds on the planet. And I think the reason is because he's not a basketball mind. He's just like a math nerd. Right. He just loves statistics. Here's a, I'm actually, you know what? I'm going to end with that point that I'll end with that. Let me just say this really quick. I feel like because the, with, with the way that basketball is being played right now, where you're generating more three pointers, which shout out to Daryl Morey for that, where teams are just putting up as many three pointers as they can, that, leads to longer rebounds so just kind of going back to the rebounding aspect i think they're going to be fine because i mean now what you can say to that uh introducing your counterpoint to myself is kind of what you said earlier how if a team wants to go to the rim they're pretty much going to be able to do that whenever they want right and, and that's the thing people are forgetting about not forgetting people don't forget it but i guess when they talk about the rockets the whole analytics driven thing is threes and points at the rim and free throws and free throws and they do it well but what i'm saying is i think other teams are going to be able to do that well against them thanks to daryl morey for for introducing that to the rest of the league shouldn't let it be his own demise yeah he's going to be his own demise so uh the rockets also have the lowest pick and roll usage like how do i articulate this well actually usage makes sense they have the lowest pick and roll usage in the entire league does that blow your mind or does that sound about right because i can't decide I mean, no, because again, Capella, their main rim runner, has been in and out. Right. He's been weird, and they play just play. They play isolation basketball, and it's I mean, yeah, yeah, and I and because they have the guy that can get past anybody and force defenses to collapse, and he kicks it out. There's very few teams who have that type of guy. Um, but I, but as I looked it up, just really quick to go back to the last thing, opponent points in the paint. Houston is right ahead of Detroit at 25th in the league at 51 and. They ever they give up fifty one a game, oof. <laughs> and to me, and how, and the majority of that is with Capella on on the team, right? Tradition. So to me, it's just going to get worse. And that's going up what ten or twelve. What that's say gonna, that again? I'm saying that that's probably going to go up ten or twelve points. Yeah, that might be a stretch, just because like Cleveland, the worst in the league is fifty four point three. Yeah, all right, yeah. So, so I, but I could see them definitely. Regressing, even. I mean, in the playoffs, when you're when you're consistently playing formidable opponents, and you're not playing the Pelicans and the Magic, well, the Magic are fine, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like they'll get murdered. Um, I don't mean to keep like fixating on rebounds because I think we've established that they're not that important. 
you also don't have to be like historically or even kind of great at rebounding the basketball to win a championship. Like the pinnacle example, the 2013 Heat were 30th. They were dead last in rebounding. So it's interesting. Isn't that, that, isn't that yeah. bizarre? I think yeah. the Mavericks were like 17th when they won. Like these, if you go back and look at these teams, like not all of them are great rebounding teams. And I, I just don't know how that translates. I all. mean, you, you, I would like to, I would be curious to see what their field goal percentage was. Right. And obviously that's where it has to convert because if they're that great, then they're excelling like in these, in these other areas. Yeah. They're um, not missing. Like that's the thing people said. And again, we're going to bring it back to the Pistons. They said about Andre is yeah, for, of course he's one of the best rebounders of all time. A lot of his rebounds, for being fair, were off his own misses. Exactly. So it's like if a team is efficient in their shooting, they're not going to have as many rebounds. Did you see that screenshot? It was, I think, his first or second game with the Cavs. It was oh. of, like the the play by play. Yeah, I did. Uh, okay. All right. I'm going <laughs> to end with this, and you, I'll I'll let you give your thoughts on it as well. Again, people know how much I love Daryl Morey creating an algorithm uh, that. marginally increases your chances at winning a basketball game uh, by capitalizing on these inefficiencies that were in basketball at the time of its inception, which was a lack of points generated from the, from the three point line and uh, from the free throw line. Now, obviously these inefficiencies don't account for games where you miss 27 consecutive three pointers in the Western conference finals. Like in order to capitalize, you have to make your shots. Right. So he created this new formula to win basketball games. And as we just said, that's being replicated across the league and saying that he's going to be uh, his, his system is going to be the product of his own demise or is the going to be the cause of his own demise. That's a beautiful way to articulate that. Um, let me say this going super small, the way that the rockets are, doesn't it kind of make you think like if anybody knows what they're doing, if anybody can figure this out, I feel like Daryl Morey's probably the guy that is realizing something that we're overlooking. And maybe that's me, like maybe that's me coming off as like a pseudo intellectual who's reading way too much into something just because I want something so desperately to be there. But I feel yeah. like there might be, I don't know, man. Do you get what I'm saying? No, I get what you're saying. Um, and again, I'm not as willing to toss out the idea of what he's doing. To me, it's more so the pieces on the team that worry me um, more so than the idea of what he's trying to pull off. Well, he's notoriously been a get the best players and we'll figure it out later kind of guy. Right. And I just don't. It works. It doesn't work. I guess it just depends on what you define as it works. They haven't been I mean, they, they, they have significant regular season success. They win 60 games if they don't miss 27 consecutive threes. If they don't, if James Harden doesn't commit 13 turnovers, and I think game seven of the 2015 Western Conference Finals, uh, like the Rockets are in two finals. But what I'll say to that is while it's those are kind of extreme numbers, I'm, I'm, I'm not that surprised because of how much they work him. You know what I mean? Like the offense of what they do, like it's these guys don't even cut. Like it's serious isolation ball. And he just picks his, like he picks apart defenses, whether he can get to the rim or otherwise he can get a step back three or somebody collapses and he kicks it out. It's just, I don't know if the D'Antoni style, it's hard to decipher whose style is what. 
obviously what you see on the floor and the lack of cutting and stuff like that appear to be D'Antoni's style. Um, the roster and how it's constructed um, appears to be is obviously that of the front office. I just when you when Harden has to work as much as he does throughout the course of a season, and you're in the playoffs against other elite teams with other elite coaches who have found ways to minimize um, the most impactful player, not minimize, uh, slow down, just for lack of a better term. I, it just it doesn't surprise me that there's there always appears to be a a significant cold spell for the Rockets in these playoffs in these playoffs year by year. I think, and I'm I'm reading my notes that I that I made prior to to doing this. I think just to backtrack to like the very first topic, the second topic. I think the reason that John Beeline is probably going to get kicked out of his job is because they've tried to like emulate the Rockets offense in what you just said, where there's no backdoor cuts. They just don't, they, they, they run a pick and roll like every other player, every other trip down the floor. And that's kind of it. There's no off the ball movement. There's no back screens, nothing like that. They just try to isolate with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And the problem is that you can't be the Rockets unless you have James Harden. Right. And right. Um, so it's just, you know, Colin Sexton and Jetty Osmond out there trying their best for like 48 minutes and it just doesn't work. And actually, and I, I, this, this, this is the last thing that we're going to end on. I think it was you. I believe it was. We were playing Cleveland. I think the first game, the first time we played them this season. And I think it was you that tweeted that you don't get the hype with Jetty Osmond. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This is kind of a Jetty Osmond slander pod. And anytime (laughs) I'm like live streaming on Periscope, anything like I will say something mean about Jetty Osmond because <laughs> I don't think he's good. Um, I have a lot of my followers and one of my best friends will, one of my friends will always, he's a Cavs fan. He will always DM me anytime the Cavs say anything about Jetty. So it's really infuriating whenever the Cavs play because he's the only one ever doing anything. <laughs> Do you think that if he were in like Philadelphia, he might be kind of sweet? Yeah. Like I, again, and I, that tweet was, uh, more so to, I don't know, I guess evoke a reaction. Like, I don't think he's, <laughs> I, I don't think he's terrible. Yeah. I, think, I think he's, a, like, I, I think he's an NBA player. It's just, to me, I feel like whenever I read stuff or saw stuff about Sadie Osmond, like, people thought he was, like, going to develop into something more than he is. I'm like, no, I just think he is what he is. He's just a dude who, and what my friend said was, like, what he loves the most about him. He's always having fun, man. Yeah. Not and I, I like that. I, I, and I agree with that. And I think that if he was in a situation and this can actually be, you could say this about a lot of the Cavs, if they were in a different situation, like they'd be a lot better. I said, get Colin Sexton under the wing of Patrick Beverly and watch what happens. That'd be incredible. Yeah. See, I, I know. And I probably won't be invited back to your podcast after this. I'm not a Sexton. Guy. Uh, James, I, I'm going to cut you off. Don't say it. <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, I, I think I tweeted this the other day when the, the Pistons played the Hornets. I just look at Charlotte's backcourt and I just see Cleveland's and it's two small guards, both chuckers that aren't very efficient chuckers. I think the difference is that Devontae like Graham, Graham is good. Devontae Graham is a guy who puts up 14 threes a night and makes three of them and then is invited to the three point contest. And we're led to believe that like he he can he's efficient, like but not on any given night. Yeah, I don't because, know how he got that because he replaced Dame, right? I believe so. Why not? Like, I'm not even just saying this because I cover the Pistons. Why not Svee? Like, the kids shoot 43 three. 
bizarre. And I think that someone compiled the data. They took however many contestants in the three point contest and they they uh, wrote like what their what their league rank was in the three point like in three point percentage. And the worst was like 92nd. Like they don't take the quote unquote best three point shooters. They just take like the sexy picks. And uh, while I think that's good sometimes, like Devin Booker, well, he's actually a really good three point shooter. But yeah, a guy like a guy like Devontae Graham, it just doesn't make any sense. But what I was saying was, I think the difference between Devontae Graham and Colin Sexton is uh, Colin Sexton isn't capable of making a shot beyond like 25 feet. Yeah. Um, he's just his jump shot is just so bad. Yeah. But man, if he's if he's going downhill. Oh my goodness! No, dude. he has talent. I agree. If he gets downhill, I just, I just question if him and Garland together—they're just so small. But this is another. Oh gosh, I see. This is this is why I try to make these episodes like twenty minutes, because I, I just have I have too much to say all the time. Oh, let's, this, break, let's break the internet. Let's do it. <laughs> this is exactly. Oh, and this is. I try not to. Man, I'm trying to keep this as clean as possible. I'm not trying to blurt any obscenities. I. This is exactly why I say all this stuff about Kobe Altman. And I'm so sorry to my listeners who have to hear this for the 100th time in consecutive drafts. You selected ball dominant point guards within the top seven picks that are both uh, generously listed as five eleven. They're just both like fine. Like I, yeah. I will go to my grave. What I said to, again, what I said to my friend, uh, you, I can slander Colin Sexton all I want because I, I love him. But the second that anybody goes after him, it's war. Like, and it's like, it's like if it's like if someone makes fun of your brother. Like, right. I can call my brother an idiot, but you are not allowed to do that. Exactly. So with Colin Sexton, I think some of it's the braid. I love the braid so much. The little Jedi braid that he's got is so cool. Yeah, I hate that. And it, I love it, it so much, man. And like that's where a lot of my uh, disdain for Dennis Schroeder comes from. Just oh, like with the little like the blonde, the little, the little peanut butter thing he's got going on. Yeah, and he's a good player. Like Schroeder's is a is a good NBA player. So it's not like I'm a hater, and like it's just the blonde patch and just the way he carries himself. And yeah, I don't have fun watching him. Yeah, I'm, yeah, he's not a guy. He's not a guy you would enjoy to watch or play against. But that's a guy that you would definitely want on your team. I uh, with the Cavs, I think so. When we were when I did like my Cavs episode, we made like a I think we called it an idiotometer. It's like an idiot meter for Kobe Altman. Yeah. I think we met in the middle. I think he's like a 7.25 out of 10. And we said if they draft like Lamelo or just another guard, which this is a point guard heavy draft. So yeah. if they, the and I'm still not are, sure they have a good point guard. Ah, man. And it's like, okay, if you are, if you're drafting a point guard, please trade somebody, please trade right. Colin Sexton because Colin Sexton isn't a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Yeah. Um, when Andre got traded, I don't know what it's at now because I don't have to keep up with Andre's stats because I don't care anymore. Um, Andre was averaging more assists than Colin Sexton. Yeah, that's all you need to know. To me. I think that was well. Hey, so slow down that. So come on, is Colin Sexton still a young product? He's learning. He's trying to figure it out. But it doesn't help that he's going to be on his fourth coach. No, I agree with that. And again, guys mature, guys develop, guys they get a breakthrough at some point. I. I'm very much into analytics and I'm very much also into like, like I said earlier, my evaluation of guys. Um, there are a lot of guys, there are not a lot of guys in this league. It's kind of what I just said with Schroeder. You watch him and you just don't probably enjoy watching him, but he's so good and but he's you, so efficient, but you would want him on your team. Right. That's how I kind of judge a lot of players. When I take analytics out of the equation, if I'm just watching, I'm like, what I want to play with this guy. Colin Sexton is not a guy I would want to play with. 
is it because he's so ball dominant and doesn't know how to pass a basketball and lacks basketball? He lacks court vision and his basketball IQ is very high on offense. Yeah, I guess just <laughs> when you put it like that. I guess the one thing that bothers me about a lot of players is someone that grew up and played basketball. There's nothing more I hated than the guy that was a chucker but wasn't very good. Yeah, that was me. That's just like have some self awareness. No, for sure. And there are a bunch of people in the NBA. I'm not going to name names. Um, that I just think that think they are better than they are, and that's gonna be the demise of of their careers. You're not gonna put Carmelo under that umbrella, are you? No. What okay. I will say is, while I don't think Carmelo was probably very fun to play with on the court, he was. <laughs> I mean, the numbers like, I guess I contradict myself because he didn't win anything, and, and probably in part was maybe that's because how he played. But he was so elite for so long that you kind of give a guy like that the benefit of doubt, I guess. Do you credit any of their turmoil to Phil Jackson trying to run the triangle? I mean, that could play a part in it, but I also think before and after, before and after that Mello didn't do himself any favors. That's probably fair. Um, I'm just very quickly trying to think if there's anything that, let me ask you. Oh, okay. All right. Jade, you have to hold me to this. Okay. Yeah. This is the last question. No, I'm let's keep going. I'm, I'm showing. My girlfriend's about to go, to go to work. I'm hanging out. Okay. I tweeted this the other day. One of my favorite things to do, I'm a big fan of asking my followers questions. Um, I love, I love like, just, just reading people's replies. Like, one of the questions that I asked the other day was, who is your uh, dark horse pick uh, after LeBron retires? Who is your dark horse pick uh, to be, like, the face of the NBA? People saying Giannis, Lucas, Zion, those aren't dark horses. Um, there's just, you know, like vetting those answers is so fascinating to me. I think my favorite answer was Michael Porter Jr. Cause that's like as dark horse as it gets. Yeah. Um, but the question that I have for you, because you just said, uh, you're like analytically driven. The question that I asked is what statistic are you least convinced, uh, can be directly correlated to a player's impact. And what I said was, I think plus minus is too relative and a little wishy, wishy washy. And also I think true shooting percentage kind of sucks. Those are good ones. Yeah, plus minus to me is is flawed. I mean, that's a stat that's shared with four other players on the court. You know what I mean? Right. Um, a guy could be a tremendous defender. His guy doesn't score. He scores 10 points on the other side in, in a, let's say, 10-minute stint. And everybody else gives up 50 points. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's just a flawed stat. And then what was your other one? So the other one I said was true shooting percentage sucks. I think it's a made up stat and you're like, well, all stats are made up. You know what I mean? It's stupid. I was like, my brother convinced me. It's such a stupid statistic. Why, why do you, why is that? I'm just it measures, here's why I like it because it, it measures, I guess, overall efficiency, right? Yeah. Like if, if someone has like an 81% true shooting percentage, it's like, okay, they're pretty good from everywhere. Maybe. Like, yeah. unless, I mean, 81% is a little bit extravagant, but if you're shooting... Like, Christian Woods is like 66, I think. Is that right. And it's weighted it? because his free throw shooting is terrible. Yeah. So, it's just bad to me. It's like, I, please just list out all of their, their... Just give me their splits. That'll do it for me. I don't need it to be averaged into one score. One I, to get one it. I, get, I get what you're saying, but I, I do like it because those are the shots at the rim the threes, the, the free throws, like factoring everything in, it, it, it does give you a, a kind of value. Because if a guy is a good three-point shooter, 
and good finisher at the rim. If he's a good finisher at the rim, you would imagine that he gets fouled a lot. But if he can't make free, if he can't make his free throws, then it, that hurt. I mean, that does that. There's a knock there, right? Um, but it's not like yeah. I don't think it's the end all be all like people say. I want to uh, reference back to when you said when you're talking about plus minus, you said it's hard to like individually correlate it to a, a one player because it's four other guys on the floor. Uh, I had to look this up because I needed to make sure I had it correct because I remembered exactly what game it was. Uh, I I don't want to say regularly participate, but I am a participant in, in uh, Andrew Wiggins' slander. Mm-hmm. Um, as is, I think that's just become customary. Yeah. For for the for NBA Twitter, yeah. um, opening night, the Minnesota Timberwolves are playing the Brooklyn Nets, and they win in overtime. They beat the Nets by one. Andrew Wiggins had 21 on 27 shots and was minus 26. Yeah. Minus 26 in an, in a one point overtime win. And you had you did 27 shots to score 21 points is literally the funniest thing that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, I just, that's it. And you're probably like, well, what does that prove? Like, no, what, no, no. What, what was the point of that? It's just hilarious that your team can like, you can squeak by, but you impact, like you were, you did nothing. Right. Oh, I, and I, I don't know. then it's like again, who was he's Andrew Wiggins? So you imagine a lot of his minutes came with the other best players on the floor, correct? Um, and then you could, but then it factors in. Well, maybe the reason they won that I don't know what game specifically you're talking about. Maybe their bench outplayed the other team's bench, and that's where the kind of discrepancy was made up. You know what I mean? Um, it's like when you look at whole groups. I guess there's value in it. Like, I guess if you see a team, if you're watching a game and you see the other team's bench outplaying the other one team's bench outplaying the other team's bench, then the plus minus like makes sense. Like it puts a value to what you watched. Right. Um, But let's say a star. All right. So for example, maybe there's one starter that play that's minutes are staggered with the bench more than the others. And if the starters are getting killed, then that guy's numbers are his plus minus is low until the bench comes in. And then he gets his plus minus up because he's playing with a unit that is excelling against the other team's second unit. Like there's just too many variables in it. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All righty. Um, I believe, I believe I have everything that I needed to know today, James. So here's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I will be uh, in Detroit on Thursday for the Milwaukee Bucks game. Now, this is sort of like a uh, double, like, obviously I'm there for the Pistons, but also low key. uh, (laughs) I'm there to see the Bucks. Now I actually, I, again, I don't mean to use you as a vessel for information, but you may know better than anybody else is the plan that Luke Kennard maybe won't return day one post all-star break, but it is post all-star break. That is every inclination that, I've I've gotten everything that I've been told is that he will be back post All Star break. So, is there a chance that I will be witnessing Luke Kennard make his return? A chance that yeah. I will witness Luke Kennard make his return against Milwaukee? I think there is a chance. Yes. <sighs> okay. Oh, this is. I'm so sorry. This is what. This is. A, this is one question. This is a question. This Bring is again, a selfish question. Bring it. Have you ever? It's Thanksgiving dinner. You're with your family, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, all that. Yeah. Do you ever like name drop ever? Like how often are you like, yeah, I said this to like, cause I know you don't often interview the opposing team, right? You're right. generally in the Pistons locker room, whether it's a, you know, you're just passing by, you heard something. 
do you ever be like, yeah, I heard like Anthony Davis say this thing, or like I said this to Blake Griffin, and yeah. You want you want me to be honest? Yes. And it's this could be a funny story, I guess. I try to avoid all basketball, my profession talk outside of work. I I enjoy kind of like it consumes me. Like it's my life during the season for right. eight months of the year. Like that's all I do. So when I get home or when I'm around family who I only get to see a couple times, less than a handful during the season, they'll obviously want to talk about it because they're like proud of me and they'll ask me stuff. But like I'll like keep it short and like I just don't really want to talk about it. When I get in Ubers and Lyfts on the road and people like, oh, how was your flight? I'm like, oh, it's good. Where'd you come from? Detroit. Like, oh, why are you here? I'll be like, right. um, just visiting a cousin. Yeah. An old neighbor from the from 20 years ago. Just right. Because it's like. One, there is – I'm not the greatest with small talk in terms of um, if I don't have a rapport and somebody just wants to talk, just like forced talk, like especially in like Ubers and Lyfts because they feel like that's how you get a better tip. How you get a better tip for me is not talking. <laughs> Maybe that sounds so so rude. No, it's true. But it's like, I get it. So then they'll, they'll, you'll, if in the rare instance that maybe I'm with Vince or Rod in the Uber and then one of them shares what we do, then we'll talk about it. But then it's like you're having a conversation with somebody who might not be as informed. And then you're going to kind of have to like, like you don't want to make anybody feel dumb or right. feel bad. Right. So then you're like forcing a conversation about something that your literal profession is to know everything about and they know very little. And you're just, I'm not in the business of like sitting there correcting and like, yeah, but why? I can't believe they traded player X. He's so good. I'm like, well, actually, that's right. You know, Some, you have to explain salary cap and caps. And it's right. just like, I don't know. I like to separate myself from that when I have in the in the rare instances that I have a chance to separate from that. I try to. My problem is, well, two things. One, uh, I'm going to be honest. If I didn't have this conversation with you in this last hour and a half, I would have had it with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like I am always consuming basketball. So if it, it, when it comes to basketball, I'll talk about it all day. Right. When it comes to whatever it is that I'm doing, which I still haven't figured out what it is. Um, <laughs> I don't enjoy talking about it. Like, because people always ask the same questions, like how did you start doing it and all this stuff? And I'm more than happy to answer it. And if people DM me questions and all that, I, I always answer them. My problem is I hate uh, typing. I hate texting. I hate yeah, all that. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm having a phone conversation with you, we're face to face. I think um, I've shown just in this conversation, I, I can go for like 20 minutes. Like I can talk. <laughs> and that's something that people like. I'm the hate. same. Yeah. Yeah. Man, like I'm just going to go and I'm going to go. And I'm going to go. Um, I'm really bad at social clues. Like stop talking. No, I'm just going to keep going until you physically tell me to stop. Um, but that's 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 good, though. Like people should should be like that. And I mean, human interactions lost nowadays. I think just for me. I don't like, um, I don't, like I said, I don't want to, I'm not in the business of making people like feel dumb or feel bad. And it's something that if it's, it's uh, like, I enjoy talking about basketball with people who I know are no, no, no basketball. Right. I, I, I find it tough to just talk with people that don't really understand whether it's basketball or like the industry. Like so, they assume like, oh, you get to, you, you get, you have, must have a cool job. Like you get to travel all these places, and it's like, I don't mind telling them like it's not always like glamorous. Like you get tired, you have to be up early to catch flights to the next city, and like stuff like that. And it's, it's like that part I don't mind telling them. But then it's like, 
oh, can you get me tickets? Can like I work for yeah. the business. I don't work for the like I don't work for right. The so it's like there's certain I just try not to I don't know, I try to relate to people on uh just like feel and like personal connection instead of like a human like, level rather it, than yeah, like what a, it is they think I do and right. them finding it interesting, you know what I mean? What was the and now I'm kind of pissed because here was my plan. My plan was to have you on, have a quick conversation. Uh, about basketball and then i actually planned on uh, getting you back on maybe right after the season ends or maybe around draft time whatever when there's not that much going on because i wanted to talk about what it is that you do and i will still reserve a lot of my questions because i have a million of them for a later date but here is a question that i do have for you and i I think it was 40 minutes ago at this point that i said last question (laughs) um what was the first time that you were starstruck by a player or a coach like in the job yeah Huh. That is a great question. So while you're thinking about it, I'll just say this. I'm starstruck by the most D-list celebrities ever. Yeah. Um, like I'll see someone, I'll see like Kay Felder. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I remember you, you played in like the, the D League and the G League. You played at Oakland. You were awesome. Yeah. Until you got to the league. Um uh like I would lose my mind. Like, no disrespect to Kay Felder. Like he could flat out hoop, but you get what I'm saying. I know what you mean. Um like there was one time I bumped into it was just on Madison Avenue in Detroit. My brother and I just bumped into Dan Gilbert on the sidewalk. Oh wow! And that one was bizarre, especially because he was mean. That's equal. Well, first of all, that's impressive that you guys were just walking. You're like, is that Dan Gilbert? Like nobody Dude, just recognizes. It was. It was. Oh, it was insane. Yeah. We're sitting there. We're in the. You know. So they. It, it's been there for like three years at this point. But they added the Nike downtown. Yeah, I've been there. So. At the time, my brother and I were working for Nike uh, at the factory store at the, the Howell location because uh, that's where we lived. Well, they had just opened up the one in Detroit like a month prior. Oh, you're talking so, about in Michigan. In Michigan. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, so they had just opened a downtown in Detroit. My brother and I were working for Nike at the time. We wanted to go check it out. Right. So we, we show up. We go in. We're standing there and we're checking out. And I see this guy. He's at the door and he's talking to this woman. And I, I, I elbow my brother. I'm like, who is that guy? I go, I, I know his face. I go, I'm blanking. I was like, who is this man? I see him all the time. And he's like squinting. He's looking at him. He goes, that's Dan Gilbert. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so we, we, he, he walks out the door and, and we start following him. And uh, uh, we're like freaking out. Cause we're like this, like the Cavs are, they're in the midst of winning. Like this was the, this was like a month before the three, one lead. Okay. Yeah. So this is like the Cavs are surging. Uh, we had just seen the Cavs play like two months ago at, at uh, uh, the Palace, rest in peace. Um, and we call our dad. Our dad, he works in Cleveland like every single week. So he's a huge Cavs fan. Okay. We call our dad and, and Dan Gilbert and his kids had like gone into this wine shop. So we're standing outside of it on the phone with our dad. Like, dad, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And he's like, leave him alone. <laughs> like, he's a person. Just he's with his kids. Like, leave him alone. We're like, oh, that's a good point. All right. You're right. We leave. And... Uh, uh, this is like an hour later we, we turn the corner on uh, like Madison and I think Woodward. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Dan Gilbert and his kids are walking our way. Right. And now you can't see like my hands and my facial expression. So this is probably a really bad story for like radio for like podcast. So I apologize. But um, I, I look at my brother. I'm like, Matthew, you have to say something to him, please. Like in this moment, we have to do something. So we walk right past Dan Gilbert. And we look at him. And we both like raise our fists and we go, go Cavs. Like in, in synchron, like synchronized. We said at the exact same time. <laughs> He looks up at us and gives us like the dirtiest look of all time and just goes, uh. 
and keeps walking. And I was like, wow, I hate this dude. I am, I am not a Dan Gilbert fan anymore. So to this day, I hate Dan Gilbert. That's interesting. I wonder if he just didn't want to be recognized. And he maybe had went the whole day. And then it's like, yeah, really glad we didn't ask for a picture. But anyway, sorry to, to rant no, about that story. I needed so, that time. The first time that you were starstruck on the job. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, so I don't, when you do, when you get in this job, like you lose all of that very quickly. Like, I mean, right. I was nervous when I first started because it's like, nobody knows who I am um, outside of like the journalists. Like they know who I was, but like the players, like it's all about building relationships. So it's like, that was like nerves. That wasn't like starstruck at all. Well, it's kind of like what Koo went through at the beginning of the year. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, but I would say that Koo is a uh, documented Pistons fan. So he may be starstruck. You know what I mean? Like well, I he, just mean like, I mean, in terms of the players don't know who he is, he has to establish those relationships. And like, you guys oh, may right. know who he is. Like, if I showed up, I'm sure you and maybe Rod would know who I am. Yeah. But outside of that, I'm nobody. Right. But the, yeah, I mean, yeah, that similarities like runs parallel. But the difference between me and Ku starting out would be I was at not only do these people not know who I am, but I'm at every practice and I'm on the road. So right. it's like I'm trying to establish relationships quickly because they're like, who the hell is this guy that's around all the time? You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like who's right. just at home games? So it's a little different. And you don't really – like I, people don't know this about in, this inside baseball talk, but like at home, during home games, like you really don't have the time with the players. Like the best stuff, like my best stories all come on the road when like the players have nowhere to go. Like they're not as eager to get back home. Their families aren't waiting for them in the family room. Like at home, they're in a rush to leave. Right. On the road, they have nowhere to go. So that's when you like sit down and you chat with the guy and you, you build those relationships. Is that where you uh, like concocted or you had the idea to write the story about the, um, I don't know how to articulate this, the stories about players talking from the bench? Do you know what I'm talking like me, about? Like me observing, like sitting close to the bench. Well, you, you, there was this where you were. I think you interviewed like Steve Kerr, and you talked to a bunch of coaches. Oh, and the, players. Three, the 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 three point shot in front of the bench. Yes, that one. Yes, yes. On the other team's bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the is that one where like you you were on the road and you you had time to talk to these guys about it? Yeah, for sure. Um, like any any feature that I write, primarily more than nine times out of ten came from me sitting down with the guys on the road. That's just because there's really no time, like, or, or it was a practice at home, like when I can just say, "Hey, can I right. speak?" To you? Right, absolutely. After games, it's very, very tough. See, this is something we're going to expand way more on this in a, in a, in, a, in our next episode. But um, my answer, though, to your question. Oh, right. Yes. It's Candace Parker. Oh, I love that answer. If I ever met Elena Deladon in person, yes. I like that may be the moment where I like, man. Elena Deladon, I think, is like one of the only players in the WNBA who I think she would. I think I said like she would average like fourteen and eight in the NBA. I think her and Maya Moore, yeah, could could play in the NBA. I think like Elena Deladon is the best player to ever play women's basketball. Um, I wouldn't argue that. So Candice, the Candice thing came about was actually this year, and I had never, I've never met her in person, but I did NBA TV right uh, recently, and it was me, her, and Steve Smith. Uh, Spartan dog, and like I, like I'm 27, and Candace, like when I was in high school, and I think it was high school, maybe even before then, but I think it was high school. Like she was 
the like the first kind of like not the first but she was just like the first female i remember like hearing noise about coming out of high school and how good she was and like she's she she a very attractive lady like yeah. I'm in high school <laughs> and like she can dunk the basketball and it's like right. i always love candace parker and then having a chance to like i've talked to her now like three or four times on nba tv like that's that's really cool didn't she win rookie of the year and mvp in the same year i'm pretty sure she I'm did pretty yeah. sure she did see with me it's like uh like even just like uh corresponding with grant napier like that's something yeah. that um it's the same thing with freaking johnny kane dude I had a, I was able to uh, talk to Johnny for an interview for Piston Powered, like when I first joined them, like a year ago. Yeah, I remember it. Me and, and John, Johnny loves it's the, the me and Johnny are very good friends. Johnny very much loves all the support that you guys give him. We we laugh about it often. Dude, we freaking love that man. I was like, um, I had like the the call recorded so that way I could you know reference back as I was writing it, and um, so you can listen to it while you're sleeping, dude. I went back and listened to it like 400 times. And then I just did it again recently. Like I accidentally opened audacity and that was still up. And I was like, no way. And I was like, I remember when he was calling me, right. I yeah. the, the, like the contact Johnny Kane was up on my phone. I screenshotted it like three times because <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like that was my moment where I was like, this is like the first big thing that I've done. And uh, you know, since then I think I've texted him a couple times, but it was the first game this year that he did uh play by play because Michigan state had a game in the, on the road, you know how that goes with George, but yeah. Um, you know, we all loved it, man. We were all so happy for Johnny. And uh, after the game, I texted him and I was like, dude, that was freaking awesome. Like you did so good. And like the fact that he took the time to hit me back and like, say, thank you. Like that just meant the world to me. Well, with Grant, it's like, it's so bizarre to me. Like we've, I mean, we've texted not almost every day, but we've texted quite a lot uh, since whatever happened with the kid. It was like, I think two, three weeks ago that I was on his show. No, that was super cool, man. I'm happy that you got that moment. Like him and like a 15 year NBA veteran, Doug Christie. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, and hearing them like talk about me, man, it was awesome. And, And actually, you know what? This actually all ties together. You remember it pretty well. I'm sure. Or you just remember that it happened at least. Uh huh. The moment that I saw that you were in one of my streams. Oh yeah, I did. I, I saw it. Yeah, that was, that was, I was, I was humbled by your reaction. That was like the most, and I remember it was the same thing. I remember it was both you and Rod. When both of you guys followed me, I screenshotted the notification and I sent it to my brother in like all caps. I was like, yo, like it's, <laughs> it's happening. And it was, it was the same thing with Grant. It was the same thing with Doug, but like every time that Grant, calls me and we have a conversation on the phone man like uh, no, I, I, and, and, and not to interrupt you and I'll, and I'll end on this first johnny um great guy great human being i spend a lot of time with johnny right here in michigan on the road that's one of my road dogs we'll go get drinks after games off days that dude is one of the most genuine nice people hard-working people Hundred um, percent, you'll ever meet. And it was funny because when I first got to the beat, I like envisioned him as kind of like this douchey frat guy. Like, yes, he looked. That's what he looks like. <laughs> yes, couldn't be further from it. Nicest guy you'll ever meet. Doesn't judge a book by its cover. Works hard. Um, funny, and I that dude has a lot of. Uh, he's already successful. He has a lot more success coming his way. And then for you, like I, I try to interact with all my like followers and readers that I like deem, Absolutely. deem yeah. intelligent, like basketball fans as often as possible. And you are one guy that um, 
I mean, always sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And then when you started doing the video recaps and, and uh, kind of getting yourself out there more, man, I just thought it was hilarious. And um, it was kind of unique. Like I know Chris Castiani does, does that for like the Tigers. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not a baseball guy. So I, and I know Chris, like I have a, I, Chris is from Lansing where I came from, went to school. Yeah. He went for, to CC, I believe. Yep. Um, so like I've had, I've, me and Chris have like, I've known Chris for a little bit, but you was like creative. It was funny. It was entertaining. Um, I know you, you work hard cause you, I see your name on a lot of the blog stuff. I see you doing the videos. I see you doing the podcast and no, man, I'm glad that you, uh, it's starting to. It seems like it's starting to happen over the past couple of months. Starting to get the recognition you deserve, and I, I just wanted to make sure. Like I, I'm a big fan of like people who are creative and work hard, and I just felt like that video for some reason. Like I'd seen them all pretty much. Just like after a game, I'm walking to my car, or just got home, and I, I, I turn them on, and they're, they're all great. But that one was just like. This guy is. I hope people aren't. If people aren't paying attention, they deserve to. So that was me. Just I think I retweeted it or quote tweeted it. You quote tweeted it and said it was something along the lines of, "Hey Pistons fans, like if you're not following him, you know, check him out. He, you know, does these recaps on a nightly basis. You know what pissed me off about that though, man? I'm not gonna lie. What? That was one of my worst recaps. It made me. I was cracking up. I forgot. I remember. I'm back and figure out which one it was. I'm sure it'll be pretty easy to find. Yeah. Um. Oh, I don't know. That was quite that was quite some time ago. My thing I was I was like, I don't want to tell him to like do it on a different one, but like I, I didn't like that one. But hey man, it worked out. Thank you very much. No, um, and I, I appreciate you reaching out and I appreciate uh just kind of support over the years, man. Absolutely. I think the this is the last thing, I promise. I, my end game is to eventually have uh one of the players see them see one of the recaps. I'm, although I guess probably not good to do that right now just because all I do is slander the team. <laughs> So maybe, maybe not this year, maybe next year, but okay. All righty, James, from the bottom of my heart, I hope everybody, if you made it to the end of this episode, thank you very, very much, James. Thank you so unbelievably much for this conversation. I I, I tweeted before the episode that even though it hasn't been recorded yet, today's episode is my favorite episode that has ever been made. And that ended up being 100% true. Thank you so, so much, man. No, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. I hope, you continue to have success as uh, you deserve. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you on Thursday. And before we leave some breaking news, the Pistons have, I believe, bought out Reggie Jackson. I'm sorry, what? Yes. I am trying to. Oh my gosh, it's true. Yes. So now I have. Reggie have... Jackson has agreed to a contract buyout with the Detroit Pistons and plans to sign with the Clippers. So now I have some work to do. So this is a very good ending spot for us. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. I got to get something out too. Alrighty, James. Thank you so, so much. And folks, we will catch you guys in the next one.